So we are in week two of our four-part series, Ordinary Vessels, and last Sunday we, we, we started the series out, and it's a Christmas series, and it's a series that leads up to our Christmas service on December 23rd, and so I just want to encourage you to invite friends and family that don't know the Lord, that maybe only come to church for one service per year, uh, invite them to our, to our Christmas service. Uh, we're going to have children that are going to sing songs, and probably... Do something unexpected that will make us laugh, and is, that's why we put the children up there, because it's cute and fun, um, and, and we're going to have some beautiful Christmas music, and I'm going to preach a Christmas message, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful time, so, but this series is building up to that Christmas message, and the idea of the series is centered around this idea that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and the most extraordinary thing that has ever happened in human history is the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ changed history, changed history, changed the way that we look at the calendar system. The birth of Christ changed humanity. And so the reality is, is that Christ came into the world through ordinary vessels, that God used ordinary people like Mary and Joseph, common ordinary people to fulfill God's ultimate plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the premise of the series. And so last week... We looked at Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist and how God used Zechariah and Elizabeth who were barren and could not have children. They prayed for a child and God gave them a son. God gave them John the Baptist and, and John the Baptist's purpose was to point to Christ. And so we looked at last week the, the bird's eye view of what it looks like to, to be a part of God's purposes. And how does God move in the earth? We talked about how, how God is in control. And we talked about how, how, how God's timing is different than our timing. And, and sometimes when God does things in this life, it doesn't make sense to us. But God is always at work, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so that's kind of what we looked at last week, is this the big picture view of what it looks like when God moves in the earth. And now this week, we're going to go in a little closer, and we're going to look specifically at the life of Mary and Joseph, and we're going to talk about what are, what, what are the attributes of a useful vessel. So we see how God moves, but what does it take, practically speaking, for you and I to be used by God, to be a part of his extraordinary purposes in this earth, to, to carry Christ everywhere that we go? What does it take for us to be used? You know, there's, a, there's an article that I read in Forbes, it was an online article written by Forbes, And it was written in February of this year. And they wrote what they called the eight essentials of great leaders. Eight essentials of great leaders. Now, when I tell you the eight essentials, I'm not saying that any of these are bad. And it would probably be good for us that are leaders and are called to leadership to have these these attributes. But I just want to contrast that with what we see in Scripture. So, so this is typical. So one, the, first, the first one on the list was, was enthusiasm. If you're going to be a great leader, you need to be enthusiastic. You need, you need to be passionate about what you are leading people to do or to follow. You need to have integrity. And obviously that, that's, that's important to be a great leader. If you don't back your product, if you don't believe what you're selling, if you don't, if, if you don't live what you're telling others to do, then, then you have no business leading. So every leader needs integrity. Communication skills. And, and, you know, again, I'm not saying that these are wrong, but that's, that's a big criteria. It's important for you to be able to communicate well and not tell your worship pastor that he's an okay singer. Right? <laughs> Probably not a good idea. 
Uh, so I'm working on that one. Uh, loyalty. You need to be loyal. You need to be loyal. If someone's going to follow you, they have to know that, that you believe in them and that you're committed to them. You need to be loyal. Decisiveness. Isn't it? Have you ever been around a leader that just can't make a decision? You know, and, and that's how I am when I go to the gas station. I'm looking for a snack. I'm not a good leader looking for a snack. Oh, it takes me forever. And I think the problem is, is that there's too many choices. Just to reduce it, if all I had to choose from was Reese's peanut butter cups and, and peanut M&M's, then I could alternate my decision. But there's other forms of chocolate that are available. And I love chocolate, and so it just makes it complicated. But you need to be decisive as a leader. Managerial competence. Seventh, you need to be an empowering leader. And then lastly, charisma. Charisma. So in all of these things, I'm not saying any of those attributes are bad. But I'm here to tell you that, 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 that you can have all of those attributes. You can have enthusiasm, integrity. You can communicate well. You can be loyal, decisive. You can be a competent manager. You can empower those under you. And you can have all the charisma in the world and be a failed leader. And not be used by God, because we're all called to lead, not be used by God to carry the most important message there is. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And so all of those things are good. But they're not ultimate. Do you remember last week what our theme verse said? 1 Corinthians 1 says this, For consider your calling, brothers, and I would say sisters. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If things are successful in your life it's not because you have these eight attributes of great leadership. It's because of the Lord. God didn't choose the greatest leaders to do amazing things. God chose the weak, the powerless. God chose, that don't, God chose those that don't, that don't have all the educational skills. He chooses anybody he wants. And there are attributes that are necessary that, 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 that kind of make the light shine brighter on you. And this is what we're going to look at. This is what we're going to look at. And so we're going to look specifically at Mary and Joseph. And so what are the attributes of a useful vessel in God's kingdom? So what we're going to look at is the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1. We're going to read this section. You guys have heard it for many, many years. We're going to read it again here, Luke 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said 
to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we're going to look at, I believe there's one verse that really lays out that verse 38, Mary's response to this news. It really begins this, this laying out for us of what are the attributes of a useful vessel. And I just really want to say that these are not all the attributes, but these are the attributes that I think are of most importance if you're going to be used by God as a believer to impact others for Christ. And the first one is this, humility. Humility is the, what I would call the primary attribute of usefulness in God's kingdom. What did Mary say there to this message? You know, it, 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 we, we, we don't know. But uh, the scriptures didn't say how old Mary was. But historically, Mary could have been a teenage girl at this point. Could have been as young as 13 years old. So she was a very young woman. And she's getting this message from an angel. An angel appears to her. This is not a dream like Joseph is going to have that we're going to read later. This is an actual appearance of the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel appears to her and says, this is what is going to happen. And Mary said, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. This is impossible for this to happen. And you know what's interesting is that she could have had many, many responses. And she, did, she, she, she was afraid because Gabriel, Gabriel said, don't be afraid because the Lord's going to be with you. But her response really showed where her heart was. Her response showed where her heart was. What did it say there in verse 38, Luke 1, 38, the first part of 38? It says, and Mary said to this crazy news you heard from the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant. Who is she serving? The Lord. She had a view that she was serving somebody. She was serving the Lord. And that word servant translated out in the, from the original language that this word servant came from is the word doule. It's the female version of the word doulos. And the word doule and the word doulos are the female and the male version of the word slave. Slave. And so the word servant really there is not a good word to describe what she is saying there. What she is saying right here is she is saying, I am the slave of the Lord. She's saying in that statement to this angel, she's saying, I don't belong to myself. I humbly submit to someone else. I humbly submit to someone else. Mary describes herself as someone who is under ownership. Who's your owner here this morning? Are you the captain of your own destiny and do you make your own decisions? You know, a lot of us in this life, we feel like we make our own decisions because we live in America, right? Isn't that the, that's the motto? We live in a a free country so everyone can do whatever they want to do and is that not what people do? And where has that gotten our country? Where's that gotten our world? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes, scripture says. That's where we live. We don't want a king. We want to do what we want to do. But what did Mary say? Her word in one statement to this crazy news that did not make any sense from an earthly perspective. As we, as we talked about last week, what was the first thing we talked about last week about God's purposes? God's purposes do not always make sense according to an earthly perspective. That is the personification of that first point. This does not make sense. How can a virgin have a baby? But what was Mary's response? I am the servant of the Lord. 
she humbly submitted to the reality that she did not belong to herself. Mary didn't see herself as being noble and worthy of God using her as a vessel for his purposes. She correctly acknowledged her true position before the Lord. And the same must be true of us if God is going to be able to use us for his purposes in this life. If you're going to be used by God to be a useful vessel, the greatest attribute that you have to have in your life, that we have to all have in our life, is humility. It's the very fact that we're existing right now. The fact that I woke up today to be able to come and, and, and preach this message to you is a miracle of God. My heart is still beating. My lungs are still functioning. I'm here in front of you. It is a divine miracle that we're all here. You got, I think we need to re- remember that every day. Everything works. Despite the fact that I drink Dr. Pepper, it still works. The poison I put in my body, I love Dr. Pepper, right? I shouldn't be drinking it. Right? The, 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 the fact that we live the way that we live, we still are breathing and living today. You know what that means? That means that God has a purpose for us in this life. If you're breathing today, that means that you are not an accident, that God has a, a reason for you to be here. And, and the only way that you're going to be effective, the only way that you can, hear me, God will allow you to be used by him to carry the extraordinary good news of Jesus Christ only if you will humbly submit to him. That's it. Those, those of you in here, like myself from time to time, when we struggle with pride, if we allow that pride to continue to grow in our life, that is the greatest disqualification for use in God's kingdom. It's pride. We have to first understand that we do not belong to ourself. And we humbly, we, we must say, as Mary said, an ordinary girl, and we're ordinary people, we must say, as Mary, I am the servant. I am the slave of God. My life is not my own. That's where it starts. You know, the, the Apostle Paul was just like Mary, ordinary common person. Actually, Apostle Paul was Saul before he had an encounter with God and God changed his name to Paul. And he became the apostle who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. But the the Apostle Paul, or Saul, was zealous after the Lord. He was a Jew. And he was killing after the resurrection of Christ and after Christianity was spreading. Saul was was, was, was busy trying to persecute and stop Christianity from spreading. And on his way to, to sign papers for the execution of Christians, the Lord, the Lord interrupts his donkey ride, knocks him off of his donkey, gives him a vision of who he is, and calls him to gospel ministry. But Saul was a, was a powerful Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And the, and, and, and the sect of, of the Pharisees were the most religious of the Jews. They were, they were the ones that would, that, that, that would have the, the first five books of our Old Testament memorized. They knew the law backwards and forwards. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But I want you to listen to Paul's language. This is why I believe God used him so mightily. This is Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What he's saying there is he's saying that, that Jews had a belief about circumcision. There was, a, there was this idea, there was this, this reality that, that, that all the males of the, of the Jews were circumcised on the eighth day that would, and that would set them apart as being, being signified as being of the, of the Jewish nation. But when Christ came, that's not the 
the, the, the mark that we have to have that, that sets us apart as being Christians, right? What is the mark? It's, it's an inward transformation that produces an outward lifestyle change. We are changed inwardly because we submitted to Christ. And any, anyone says that they're a believer but their life doesn't change, something, something's off right there, right? So the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying here, watch out for those who say, you, as believers, you still have to have your flesh circumcised. Watch out for them. For, for, we, are the circum, for we are the circumcision who, who worship... <coughs> By the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now listen to this. Though I myself have reason for confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I'm better than everybody. Everyone who thinks there's something, I got more reason to say that I'm something. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, I, he says, I'm a super Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I mean, I was the top notch. I was a top notch Jew. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, listen to this, listen to this humility. Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's humility. It's humility. Paul also said in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came. Why did Christ come? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Christ came into the world to save sinners. What did Paul say here? Of whom I am foremost. Some translations say of whom I am chief. He sees himself not as this super Jew. Not as a super religious person. He sees himself as a slave of Christ. As a chief of sinners. James chapter 4 tells us that God does what? He opposes the proud. But gives grace to who? The humble. If we're going to be used by God to carry this extraordinary news of the good news of Jesus Christ. We must walk in humility. You know, there's a story that we've all heard, and this is as I wrap up this first point here. There's a story of, we've all heard uh, from the gospel of Matthew. And, and, and James and John, they, called them, uh, they were called the sons of thunder. They were brothers and they were followers of Jesus Christ. And, 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 Mo, and the disciples believed that Jesus was called to set up an earthly kingdom. And so they wanted to have a position in the earthly kingdom. So they got their mama to come with them. And so James and John, sons of Zebedee, got their mother and, and they went before Jesus. And, and so the mother speaks to Jesus and says, Jesus, why don't you do something for us? How about you take my one son and you put him on your right and take, your, take my other son and put him on your left so that they can rule in the kingdom with you. So they're trying, these brothers and, their, and this mother are trying to position themselves for positions of authority and influence and power. Listen to this, Matthew 20. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were mad, indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them. He called all of them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles do what? They lord their authority over them. And the great ones, those who are powerful, they exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. You know what Jesus is saying here? You're about to have to be used by the Holy Spirit to spread this gospel all over the Word. It's going to start here. And if you're going to be used, you can't wield authority and the power I'm going to give you like earthly people do. It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever should be great among you must be your servant. Same word, slave. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So many people in this life, they're looking to find significance through earthly things. Through accomplishments, through possessions, through notoriety. The question they want to ask, well, who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you, who do you know? Who can you get a favor from? How can I leverage my influence with people to get where I'm trying to go? I, I always ask the question, what are we trying to prove? What are we trying to prove in this life by power and positions and money and possessions and influence? What are we trying to prove? We're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. All those powerful people in the world that think there's something, they're really nothing. Because if God wouldn't give them breath, they'd lose it all. And people would fight over all of their stuff. The value systems of the world are in contrast to the value system of the kingdom. The primary attribute, this is the first one, primary attribute necessary to be useful in God's kingdom is humility. You know why humility is so important? Because humility produces something in us. And it produces the second attribute. The, second, the, the attribute that humility produces is willingness. That's the second attribute. It's willingness. What did Mary say there? She first said, Luke one thirty eight. she said, Behold, I am a slave of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. And then what did it say here? Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. What was she at that point? She said, I don't belong to myself. I'm a slave of the Lord and I am willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever, whatever the Lord says. If this is what the Lord's called me to do, it does not make any sense. I don't understand it, but I humbly submit my life to the Lord, and I'm willing. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, I believe so many times we struggle with willingness. We're willing to come and sit in church and hear a message preached. We're willing to come and associate with with the kingdom of God. But some of us, we struggle from time to time to be willing to, to willing, willing to, to say, yes, God, use me. There must be a willingness. And that's what humility produces in us. It's a willingness. When we recognize we don't belong to ourselves. it's, Lord, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to send me, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'll say, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing. And that starts with humility. If your life is your own. And you feel like your life belongs to yourself. Well, then you kind of fragment your life. And you say, Lord, well, well I'll, 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 I'm going to do this right now. This is my plan. And, and down the road, whenever I kind of get all my stuff in order, then, then I'm going to submit to you and let you kind of do what you want to do with my life. Lord, just please let me do this first. That, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not the, the place and the position God's looking for with us as believers. It's complete surrender. It's humble submission of our life. And we say, Lord, whatever, wherever, however, however you want to use us, we're willing. Guys, remember Isaiah? The prophet Isaiah, before he spoke, before he was a prophet for the Lord to speak judgment, a warning of judgment to the nation of Israel and their rebellion against God, he had a vision. He had a humbling vision. Let's read what happened to Isaiah. Isaiah 6, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two 
he flew. He had a vision of heaven is what happened. He had a vision. Isaiah had a vision of heaven. He saw the Lord. He saw the angels around the throne. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me. He had a humbling experience before a vision of God. And he said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Doesn't that remind you of the Apostle Paul right there? What did the Apostle Paul say? The Lord came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am foremost. When we see the Lord, and who did, who did, who did Saul see? He saw the Lord, knocked him off of his horse. Same picture here as with Isaiah. He sees the Lord, and what does he recognize? He recognizes his inability. He recognizes his sin. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people, of a nation of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We must see the Lord. Look, if we're going to be used by God, we've got to see the Lord again. We need to see the Lord again in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his holiness. And we need to allow that vision of the Lord to humble our heart. Listen to what Isaiah said there. This is so profound. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And what was it that the Lord used him to do? To speak the Lord's word. Our frailties and our inadequacies and our weaknesses aren't going to stop God from using us, but our pride will. Our unwillingness will. God takes us with all of our weaknesses and said, look, I'll take care of those weaknesses. I'll take care of your inability to speak. I'll take care of your character flaws. You submit to my ways and I'm going to work on you. I'm going to mature you. You're going to become more like Christ and you're going to open your mouth and you're going to speak with compassion and truth and lives are going to be changed. But, but, but we got to have that humbling experience with the Lord where we see him for who he is and that humility produces a willingness Isaiah 6 8 what happened after that I heard a voice from the Lord saying whom shall I send the Lord says hey I got work to be done there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this life do you guys know that I was thinking about that during our worship time think about how many people need what we were experiencing in that moment they're just so lost. They're searching, as I, as I prayed there during the transition into our prayer time. They're looking for sustenance in all the wrong places. They're digging into wells, trying to find water, trying to find peace, trying to find the source of life. But the wells are empty. There's no water. There's no source of life in all the ways of the world. All, in all the ways of the world, apart from the ways of God, it, it, the end of it is emptiness. And our world is full of people. Your jobs are full of people that are like that. Some of you, some of you your family are, is full of people like that. They've been searching and looking in all the wrong places. There's a lot of work to be done. And Isaiah, the Lord is telling Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who's going to go? Who's going to open their mouth for me? Earlier, Isaiah said, whoa, I have unclean lips. But what did that humility produce? He says, he says, here I am. Here I am. I'm willing, Lord. Send me. So my, my, my question to you is, where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And what are you going to say? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And what are you going to say? And I just want you to know, as believers in Christ, God wants to use you. 
He wants to use you. He doesn't just want to use me to preach. My preaching and my desire is that week after week you come and hear the gospel preached, you hear the Bible taught, and that this is just a catalyst for you to go and to do and to say what God's called you to go and do and say. That's, that's the point. Is that not the point? Isn't that the point of church? We gather for the, for the mutual lifting up of one another. We gather for, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that the ministry can be done not just through my lips and the lips of people that communicate from the pulpit, but through your lips on your job and your family. Here I am, Lord, send me. Humility produces a willingness to go and do whatever the Lord has called us to do. Lord, make us willing. That's what I wrote in my notes here. That's my prayer. Lord, make me willing to do whatever you've called me to do. Work humility in my heart and, that, and let that humility produce a willingness to be used. Whatever it is, I'm available. Whatever it is, I'm available. Humility produces willingness and willingness produces our third attribute, a desire to act. It produces obedience. It produces obedience, humility, willingness, and obedience. Mary and Joseph had to obey. They had to follow through. They had a choice to make. Let's go and, 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 and read the account of, of how Joseph had a vision. Matthew chapter 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came Together, before they, were, they consummated their marriage, and she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Key verse 24. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, what happened? He did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. What could he have done to Mary? According to the Jewish law, he could have ridiculed her, put shame on her, and ultimately she could have been stoned for what she did, for the adultery, the perceived adultery, because she was pregnant. How was she supposed to be pregnant? He believed the word of the Lord. He obeyed the word of the Lord. He was a just man. He kept her to himself, and they obeyed the Lord. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Willingness without action, willingness, humility that produces willingness, but without action is just good intentions. Willingness without action is just good intentions. It sounds good. Yes, Lord, I, I, you've humbled me and I'm willing. But, but, but if you don't do anything, if you don't act, if you don't obey, then it's just a good idea. It's just a good thought. It's just good intentions. Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord. They surrendered their lives to what God had called them to do. So I'm here to ask you this morning, what have you not obeyed the Lord in yet? What has he called you in that you have that you have not just you have not you've not said yes yet. Some of you here this morning, he's called you to be a missionary, and you haven't said yes yet. He's humbled you, you're willing, but you haven't said yes yet. Some of you, the the I don't know what the calling is. There's many callings we're all called to. Maybe you're called, maybe God's been calling you to change your, your career. And you and you need and you need to go back to school, but you haven't acted yet. You haven't said yes yet. Willingness without action is just good intentions. 
It takes obedience. We must obey the Lord. When the Lord commands us to do something, tells us to do something, we must say yes. We must obey. You remember the story of Saul, the king of Israel, Saul, and the nation uh, of Amalek was oppressive to the nation of Israel. And God, the prophet Samuel, came to Saul and told Saul, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Kill everyone, even the animals, all the livestock. Leave nothing there, for I'm bringing my, you're going to be my hands of judgment to the nation of Amalek. That was the word from the prophet Samuel to Saul. And of course, Saul goes, and what does Saul do? He disobeys. And he saves the king, and he saves some of the best of the livestock. And this is where we pick up the story. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, I just, I, I, this is such an interesting story. You've got to kind of see this picture here. So Samuel's coming down the road. And how many of you know when you disobey, you know you disobey, right? You know you've done it. So, so God's man comes walking down the road, and what does Saul do? He, he runs to meet him, which is a sure sign something's off. He runs to meet him and says, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Really? Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and this lowing of the oxen that I hear? So, of course, when you disobey, you have lots of excuses. So Saul said, they, they, isn't that like the garden with Adam and Eve? This woman, humanity has been doing this from the beginning, blaming everybody else for our disobedience. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He didn't even take ownership that it's his God. He says, they did it, it's your people, and it's your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said, I love this, to Saul, stop. You see it right there? That's how he said it. He said, stop. Stop this. Cut it out, man. Like, what are you saying? Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, and you are not the head of the tribes of Israel, the Lord anointed you to be king. Listen, that is so good. I didn't see this when I was studying this. Listen to that. That's what I said earlier. We're ordinary. Some of us, you, you feel like you're little in your own eyes. And nobody can ever, you feel like I, I cannot be used. Listen to what Samuel told Saul there. Though you are little in your own eyes, the Lord wanted to use you. He set you in charge over the nation of Israel to be king. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I, and I brought Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, again, he's blaming. The people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to the sacrifice, to, to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Verse 22, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what I want from my children. I got two of them right there. I just want you to obey. You don't, you don't got to make me pancakes in the morning. 
You don't got to buy me golf balls with the allowance I give you. <laughs> you don't have to do all these great things for me. I just, just obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what Samuel was telling Saul. For obedience is better than sacrifice. And to listen in the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Humility produces willingness, but willingness without obedience is just good intentions. We have to obey. We have to obey if we're going to be used by God. Humility produces willingness, and willingness produces a desire to act, and we obey, we follow the Lord. And this last attribute, then we need courage to persevere. We need courage to persevere. Many people start well, but they lack the courage to persevere or to follow through in what God has called them to. We can't quit. The Lord's called us to a great work. As Living Word Church, he's called us to a great work to exalt Christ, to make disciples, to equip the saints. It is a great work to see the gospel move forward in our life and through our life. But we can't quit. It is easy to quit in this world. It's easy to quit as believers this gospel mission because nobody in the world wants to hear us. Because what we have to say draws distinct lines in the world. Because what we're saying is we're saying that Jesus is the only way. What we're saying is, is that everywhere you're going, trying to find peace and joy and happiness are really just empty wells. And so we're causing people to think deeply about their life and to reevaluate their belief systems. And so it's, it's, it's easy to be, to be or to lack courage in this culture, in the calling that we're called to. But we have to be courageous. It took courage for Mary and Joseph to follow through in what the Lord was calling them to. What I want to say this is that courage is built through conviction. Courage is built through conviction. You have to have, we have to have a conviction in our heart, hear me, that this word is true. If you don't believe that this is divinely inspired, that this is the word of God, then you will not have courage when the fire comes. When somebody presses you and questions you about what God's word says about anything, and God's word's clear. It's not not hard to figure out what God means. He makes it clear. It's the clarity of scripture. And if you don't have convictions developed in your heart about truth and God's word, when the pressure comes, you'll lack courage. But have you ever seen somebody super courageous for God? Doesn't it motivate you? Doesn't it motivate you? When you see somebody stand for the truth, they don't compromise what God's word says. It motivates you. And you look at them and you think, how did they do that? How did they, how did they stand for what was true? Maybe in the, in the news media, somebody, some believer stands up and says, no, this is true. And that is not true. God's word is true. And may it, let every man be, be a liar. They stand for what's true. That didn't happen overnight. That courage was developed over years, over years of them Developing their convictions and living those convictions out. Being humble, being willing, being obedient. And developing their convictions, staying in God's word. Courage is built through conviction. You will never be courageous about something you don't believe in. You see somebody wavering what they believe, what they say they believe, it's because they never really believed in it. And when pressure comes, there's no courage anymore. You'll never be courageous about something you don't believe in. And you will never be courageous about something you don't have convictions about. You know, there's, there's convictions in my life that have been developed over the years. And you can try to convince me if, against these convictions, but you never will. 
because I, I've committed my life to the convictions that are based upon God's word. And that's, that's where we all need to be. And God's working those convictions in my life even deeper. And our prayer is, is that as Living Word Church, we would be so into God's word on a regular basis that those, those convictions will continue to be strengthened and developed. And when, when we are wherever we go, wherever God wants to use us, that we will not compromise the truth of his word, that we will be courageous. You've heard the story. I'm going to end with this story about Esther. You guys heard the story of Esther in the book of Esther? The king, the king needed a new wife because the queen had died. And Esther, the book of Esther says that Esther is beautiful. So the king called for all the, all the women, all the eligible women to come for him. And, and he was going to choose the next queen. And, and, and she got chosen to be the queen of the king. And she was a Jew. She was a Jew. She was of Jewish heritage. And so she's in a position with a pagan king to have influence. And, and so Haman hated the Jews. And Haman was trying to kill all of the, all, 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 all of the Jews. And, and, and Esther's uncle, Mordecai, gets wind that there has been a decree that it was made that all of the Jews were to be killed. And so Mordecai sends a word to the servant of Esther and says, go and tell Esther that her people are in danger and that they're going to die. And then Esther sends back and she's grieving over what's going on. And so then, so then Mordecai says, you need to go, Esther. This is through messenger. You need to go, Esther. Go before the king. Plead for your people. And so Esther sends back a word to Mordecai and says, I cannot go. You cannot go into the king unsummoned. If I go without being called, it's it. I'm going to die. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Isn't that true? If we don't have courage, if we lack the courage to do what God's called us to do, God's mission will go on because God is in control. And the mission of the gospel being spread all all over the world, he'll heal you, someone else. Don't deceive yourself, he's telling Esther. For if you keep silent, relief and deliverance will rise from, from somewhere else. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come, you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's courage. That's courage based upon convictions and this this understanding that her life is not her own. And she was willing. She acted. She obeyed but she was courageous. We must be courageous in our calling. As ordinary vessels, as ordinary vessels, God wants to use us, but we must be courageous in our calling because our calling is great. I want you to get that. Your calling is great, 
Those of you here this morning, you think, I can never be used to, be, to, to do something great. We need to redefine what great is in this culture. So many things we call great, and they're really not great. You know what great is? Great is meeting the needs of your neighbors when you know that they're struggling. Showing the love of Christ in many intangible ways. That's great. It's not the notoriety. It's not the lights that are blinding me on Sunday mornings, being up here. That's not great. What's great is doing what God has called you to do. Saying yes, obeying the Lord. That is great. And we must be courageous in that. So what are we called to? I'm ending right here. Last verse. What are we called to? Our calling is described in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That means he's won the victory. In Christ, he's won the victory against sin and death and hell. And in Christ, we have victory. And listen to this, it's so good. And through us, through you as believers, us as victorious believers, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are the aroma of christ to god among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing we want the fragrance of our life to overwhelmingly be jesus isn't that such a beautiful picture of what it, what our calling is if i if i got in here and i took my cologne well i've got some cologne some cologne right here got some cologne so i've got some cologne here so if I took this bottle of cologne, this is actually my cologne. These are not my bottles of cologne. If I took this and I went around and I sprayed a spray over that section, over that section, it would permeate everywhere. Isn't that not the picture? That's what we're called to be the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ. If I sprayed it everywhere, you would you begin to smell it. And so here we, we really have a choice when we leave our house tomorrow morning to go to work or to, to go to school wherever God sends us we're, we're, we're going to either we're going to either and these are all the opposite of my attributes you're either going to put on pride you're going to spray some pride tomorrow morning or humility we've got unwillingness unwillingness and that's why it's black right you're going to spray some unwillingness when you leave I'm not, I'm not God don't ask me to do anything I'm unwilling I'm going to spray my unwillingness on this morning and I really, Lord, I really don't want to obey today. So we got disobedience. This is the unfit collection. Pride, unwillingness, disobedience, and cowardice. You going to spray some cowardice on before you leave? And I know this looks a little cheesy, but you got you to gotta spray Christ. You see the cross right there. That, I mean, that's, that's the only, that's what, that's what we're called to do. Second, Second Corinthians 2, we're called to, to wear the fragrance of Christ. That when you walk in the room, it's unmistakable. You ever been around somebody? Their cologne is so strong. It is unmistakable when they walk in the room. And you're like, oh my goodness, tone it down a little bit, bud. <laughs> like there's a little bit too much. What are you trying to hide there? Right? But 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 that's that's not that's not what we're doing as Christians. We're not trying to hide anything. We want them to smell us. That when we walk in the room, we are the fragrance of Christ. So ladies and 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 gentlemen, when you put on your your, your cologne tomorrow morning, your perfume, think about that thought. What am I putting on today? I'm putting on Christ today. It is a great calling. I'm going to humbly submit. And because of that humility, God, my life is not my own. I'm willing to do whatever you say, wherever you want me to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to obey. I'm not just willing. I don't just have good intentions. I'm going to act. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. And I'm going to have courage to stand for what is right. Amen. Just stand your feet with me this morning.
Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. I love our church. I love every one of you. Thank you, God. I thank God all the time that he, he placed me here. And I get to be, be your pastor. And I'm so excited about 2019. And so I want to give this uh, announcement again. January 6th. I really want all of you to be here. On January 6th, I'm casting vision for 2019. And, and really, the, 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 the vision is about what I just read in 2 Corinthians 2. It's about us increasingly becoming the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. And that's the heart of what every church should be. So come on January 6th, and, let's, and I want you guys to hear the vision the Lord's laid on my heart. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And, and God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be useful vessels. Lord, we're all ordinary. None of us are great according to earthly standards. We're not seeking to be. But we, we, we just want to humble ourselves before you. We want to be willing, and we want to obey. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be courageous in our calling. Lord, I pray a blessing on every person that's here. Use them wherever they go to be the fragrance of Christ, to be the aroma of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. I'll see you next week.